What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast, where we sit down with the best of the best to learn what they are doing to perform at their peak. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we're on a mission to unlock human performance. We've got a great podcast this week. I want to start by giving a shout-out, though, to two of our professional athletes, Rory McIlroy and Patrick Mahomes, who both had big Sundays uh, this past weekend. Rory McIlroy winning the Dubai Desert Classic in dramatic fashion, and Patrick Mahomes leading the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. I always find myself a little biased rooting for Whoop athletes, but it's very easy to be rooting for Rory and Patrick. Congratulations, guys, on a phenomenal weekend. All right, on this week's episode, our VP of Performance Science, Kristen Holmes, is joined by scientist and winter swimming expert, Dr. Susanna Soberg, who has a PhD in metabolism from the University of Copenhagen and is the founder of the Soberg Institute and her science-backed program, The Thermalist Cure. Her methodology and science are derived from the Scandinavian traditions of cold water swimming and its positive impact on the mind and body. One of her principles is to end cold, to increase metabolism and prolong the benefits of chemicals in the brain, a principle that Dr. Andrew Huberman from Stanford University named after her, the Soberg Principle. She's a best-selling author thanks to her book, Winter Swimming, and her research has been featured on the Huberman Lab podcast, the Lex Friedman podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, and more. Kristen and Susanna will discuss the benefits of cold and heat therapy, the body's reaction to cold plunges, tips on how to build up the habit of using cold therapy, the methodology of the Soberg Principle, the impact of cold plunges and winter swimming on sleep and recovery, the science of brown fat and its importance to metabolism. Before we dive into this innovative recovery behavior, I'm excited to share that Whoop is launching a new two-way integration with Hyperice. Connect your Whoop and Hyperize apps through Apple Health to understand the impact of using Hypervolt massage or Normatec air compression on your recovery. Plus, get personalized Hyperize recommendations based on your Whoop activities, sleep, and recovery data. Pretty awesome. Huge fan of Hyperize and check out that integration. Also, if you're new to Whoop, you can use the code WILL when you're checking out and get a $60 credit on Whoop accessories. You can use that for bands, battery packs, and more. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us, podcast at whoop.com. Call us at 508-443-4952, and it might just be answered on a future episode. Here are Kristen Holmes and Dr. Susanna Soberg. I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Susanna Soberg to the Whoop podcast. Susanna, through her groundbreaking research and her beautiful book, Winter Swimming has helped us gain a deeper understanding of our metabolism, brown fat specifically, and its purpose in adults, as well as the outsized benefits that cold exposure can have on our physical and mental health resilience. Based on the depth of her scientific research and experience, Susanna has programs and protocols with the aim of lowering stress, improving sleep, and increasing both mental and physical health. Susanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Oh, of course. You're making such an impact. I'm just beyond excited for the discussion today. You know, I thought we could start just with the basics of, you know, what's actually happening when um, the cold hits our skin. 
So when the cold hits our skin, um, we have cold receptors in the skin, and that will be uh, activated as soon as you actually just take your your bathrobe off uh, on the daddy or just by your outside in the wind. And it doesn't have to be that cold, actually, for the cold receptors to send this emergency signal to the brain. And in the brain, there's this temperature regulating center in the hypothalamus, which will send then um, noradrenaline out and the and they activate our hormones, the cortisol, and all the stress hormones will go up and activate the sympathetic nervous system. And part of that is also activating the brown fat. So the brown fat is going to be activated immediately as soon as you take the robe off. So you don't have to think, oh, I have to activate my brown fat and then sit for 10 minutes in a hot, in a, in a bathtub with ice in it. You don't have to do that. Uh, your brown fat is activated immediately as soon as you just get a temperature change in your skin, actually. So um, as soon as you get cold on your skin, the sensitive, the cold sensitive receptors will activate brown fat. It will activate all your neurotransmitters in the brain. So norepinephrine will go up by 2.5 fold within just a few minutes as soon as you go into your ice bath. And that will make a huge activation of your brown fat which will then generate heat in your body. That is the main purpose of the brown fat. So the brown fat has to be there to save us when, as soon as we get cold. So, and that is also right. before you go into your ice bath, but also when you're in it. So the first initial minutes, it's gonna be the brown fat, which is trying to keep your temperature in your core up. And that is not the only thing that needs to happen to actually keep you alive or make sure that you don't die. So the sympathetic nervous system is this biological system that we began during evolution because we were born, you can say, in the cold and in the heat. So we need to have a system to actually get rid of the heat and also um, heat ourselves up. So the brown fat is born in that way. So we are born with the brown fat, but we still have it, even though we don't use it outside or live outside to use it anymore. So, but we can activate it in the ice bath or when we went to swim or when we go outside, just in a t-shirt. So the vessels will contract because you also need to make a kind of a, a, a surface around yourself and make the blood go to your core to make sure that your vital organs are not cooled down too fast. Um, because that's, it's going to kill you if, you if you don't do that. Right. Um, so the, the blood is going to go to your core. Uh, your norepinephrine will activate your fight and flight system, which then will make your heart rate goes up. Your blood pressure will go up. It's not much. It's only 9 to 12 millimeter mercury. So it's very little, actually, that science show that uh, the blood pressure goes up. And it's very brief that it goes up. Because what else happens is that the sympathetic nervous system is only part of the cold shock. Because what I just described is actually what happens in the cold shock. It will last for a mm-hmm. minute or so when you go in, but the parasympathetic nervous system is also activated. And that is because you submerge yourself into the cold water and activate your diving reflex. And that will make your parasympathetic nervous system activate, which uh, and your vagus tone as well will be um, activated. So that will make your heart rate and your blood pressure go down. So that could also make this a little bit right. of a conflict in the system. Uh, and that is also why we say that uh, with if you have heart problems or you have unregulated high blood pressure, you should be careful about doing ice baths and just consult right. your doctor because we cannot say if you can do this on an indiv- individual level. 
So just be aware of that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a really important call out, you know, that there, you know, some <clears throat> folks uh, could respond negatively to the the shock of the cold water and that they'd, you know, probably need to consult a doctor before taking on any yeah. um, of, of these kind of protocols. But if we can talk a little bit more about the, the autonomic nervous system, because I think that's a really important, you know, we obviously track heart variability, which is a, you know, a function of the heart, but originates in the autonomic nervous system. And I think we're, you know, always thinking about, you know, how do we achieve more autonomic balance? And clearly cold exposure is a path to taking more control over your autonomic nervous system in the sense that you're kind of creating a balance between these two, these two systems. So you mentioned, you know, kind of one minute before you actually go from sympathetic activation to parasympathetic activation. Is that kind of, is that what you found in your research? Is that kind of an approximation? So folks need to stay in the water for at least a minute and then assuming, you know, another maybe 30 seconds to a minute in order to kind of get this dual benefit of, you know, this both sympathetic and, and parasympathetic activation. Yeah, so this is, there are studies showing that Depending on if you are a new um, winter swimmer or a cold expo, cold water uh, in swimmer, then you will <laughs> definitely have a longer cold shock than if you are adapted. And that is because during okay. adaptation, you will have a more damp um, response to the cold because you, ha you <laughs> are adapted to it. And that is um, a process right. that happens in your metabolism and also in the way the, the blood vessels can constrict uh, because... The constriction will also increase the ability to actually con uh, constrict the vessels will increase with cold adaptation. So the one minute okay. is just approximately because we cannot <laughs> really take everyone under one and say it's always one minute because it's not. Um, it's going to be right. between one and, and two minutes depending on how adapted you are. Right. Is it the skin receptors that adapt? Like what exactly is adapting? to kind of this shock response. Yeah. So the adaptation goes for multiple systems. So um, one thing is the adaptation is um, the metabolism. So how fast you can, uh, how how well your body is at uh, heating itself up, keeping uh, or minimizing the heat loss, you can say. And that is the main purpose for the body when once you go into the cold. It has one purpose, just uh, reduce heat loss. And the body mm -hmm. gets better and better at that uh, the more you actually um, expose yourself to the cold. So the adaptation goes to the constriction of the vessels in your skin. That is one thing. And the other thing is in your metabolism. So the brown fat activation, how fast can you increase your metabolism by activating brown fat? How fast um, can you um, activate your muscles, the shivering uh, over time? The, the, the muscle shivering will actually subside a bit. And you have probably experienced this, that you cannot see I, your muscles mm -hmm. shivering ever, anymore. And people often ask me this question, so don't we get in all the benefits out of it? They do. It's just because when you increase, uh, uh, when you get adapted to the cold, the muscles uh, also increase uh, mitochondria in the cells, and they just get more efficient at increasing heat. So they don't have to shiver that viciously or, what is that called? So much um, as they did in the beginning. Yeah. And also the brown fat is much more efficient because they have increased the amount of mitochondria in the cells. So they are efficient at eating you up. 
So adaptation goes for the constriction of the vessels, your metabolism, and also how good your capillaries are at um, actually shutting down the blood supply to your skin. And this is also very much an equation about uh, how much fat layer you actually have. How good of a shield can you make on your body to keep the heat inside of you and keep the cold out? But you will always lose in this battle. That is just one thing. <laughs> because if you stay there, the cold water will always win. So it's not like, yeah, right. it's not like you should try and defeat it or something because you can never build a shield good enough for you to heat up the bathtub in ice water. So the, the cold adaptation will happen over time, but you should always keep in mind what is healthy for you. So, and that's kind of like what my research was about. What is actually enough? <laughs> right. And we'll dig into the exact kind of protocol. What um, differences have you found in, in men versus women in terms of brown fat activation and kind of recruiting brown fat adipose tissue? So in my research, we didn't look at the difference in men and women, but we do see in research that uh, published from, from other groups that uh, women actually have more brown fat than men. And I found this very interesting already from the beginning of my it's research. Yeah, because why why do they have more uh, brown fat? But I think today, yeah. and this is also something that I write a bit about in my in my book, that women have more brown fat. That's my hypothesis, at least, because we don't really have an answer to this. I just want to state that because there is no this is this is just me reflecting. Okay, so yep. uh, women have a a large, you can say, surface ratio to their to their mass, right? Because mm -hmm. we are smaller, we have less muscle mass than men than men have, and muscle generate mm -hmm. heat. So men have a, this other system which can generate heat in the body that we don't have as much as uh, as they do. So there are two tissues in the body which can generate heat, and that is the brown fat and the muscles. And those two are working together as soon as we go into the cold top. So what first thing is the brown fat activating and then the then the muscles and then the muscles sends a signal to the brown fat about keeping it activated and then they work together to keep you alive. But in women, because we are also colder because we don't have as much uh, muscle mass as men, we will have colder hands. And this is also what science shows. We have colder hands, colder feet, and we have a smaller heart. So this all makes sense, I think, if I because I've looked at the physiology. So we have a smaller heart, which don't as efficiently as in men can pump uh, the blood around in, in your circulation. So that makes mm. sense that the women have a little bit colder hands. We have actually also colder ears uh, than men do, uh, just in, in general. So maybe we have more brown fat because of that, because then we are exposed to more uh, cold temperatures uh, or the same cold temperatures, but we have to activate our heating system in the body to keep the same temperature at our core as the men. You can imagine that they right. don't have to do as much in the body as we do. So I right because they have more muscle mass. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, more they have so more mass, muscle mass, and probably not as much brown fat because of that. Because the muscle mass is gonna help them um, keep. Also, they have just more mass to keep the temperature. Wow, that's really interesting. So I suppose you know there are other ways to activate brown fat. You know, what would be uh, outside? Obviously, you know, cold exposure is undoubtedly like the the most physiological 
effective regimen to activate and recruit uh, brown fat. What are the, what are some other things that people could do to activate um, brown fat? So actually, the brown fat is also activated in the heat. The brown fat is our t- not only our temperature uh, regulator on the cold side; it's also our temperature regulator on the heating side. Meaning that it is gonna that it's gonna nivellate our temperature in the body. So if you if you're getting super hot on your skin, uh, the body tries to get rid of your heat in your body because the temperature receptors in the skin is gonna send a signal to the brain saying, "Oh, my skin is getting really really hot now. I want to get if rid he- of some heat from the body." Then the brown side is going to activate from the inside, so you open your vessels and you can let out some the heat that you have built up. You are out to build up in your body, so heat is definitely one thing um, that is going to activate the the brown side as well. But everything that actually activates your sympathetic nervous system that is increasing your norepinephrine, because as soon as norepinephrine goes up, you will have an activation of the brown fat. So when you do exercise, you also increase your heat in your body and you will activate the brown fat, but you also activate your right, sympathetic right. nervous system. Norepinephrine goes up and you have an activation of that. So it's kind of like counterintuitive that you are going for a run and then you have a sympathetic uh, activation and then you increase your brown fat activation and you heat up from the inside. But that makes you sweat yeah. and that, that makes you sweat and it makes you... Uh, hyperventilate and that's how you actually lose weight as well because that's how you get rid of fat from your blood from your system right is there so would you say the the quickest if people have to choose between hot therapy and cold therapy cold therapy would i would imagine be the the fastest route to brown activation is that would that be correct i don't know actually uh, there is no studies is, is, comparing. Is cold this. better than hot? I guess at activating uh, at activating brown fat. So as the literature goes now, we know that brown fat, uh, the cold, is a very potent stimulator of the brown fat because we have more cold uh, sensitive receptors in the skin. That's gonna send a signal that is lightning fast, directly from the cold receptors in the skin, directly to the brown fat and also through a pathway up to the brain. So we definitely know right. that there are more pathways going from the cold receptor, the sensitive receptors in the skin to the brown fat. But I don't think that we have enough research on the heat because I imagine that that it could also be that the heat receptors is gonna have some pathway also to, uh, to the brown fat. But if you think about this from an evolutionary point of view, it's like, would you, faster die from cold than you would from heat definitely so absolutely it means yeah, it yeah. does make sense if the brown fat is activated much faster during cold than heat so right yeah uh, but we're guessing here i mean i cannot yeah totally <laughs> yeah no i know we can't say but i mean i think that it does make a whole lot of sense from an evolutionary perspective certainly um i you know it's funny when i look at my my whoop data, you know, my heart rate, heart rate variability, and I look at it from a seasonal perspective, um, I am way, way healthier in the winter, which is interesting. And I don't know, you know, it's, it's, you know, I have, I work out outside all, all the time, you know, um, or year round, uh, but my body for some reason seems to respond better to the cold than it does the heat in terms of my heart rate and heart rate variability. Okay. Um, even my exercise capacity is better in in the cold and and I wonder you know I'll often work out you know just in a t-shirt 
you know, it will be 30 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, and I'll just be in my t-shirt and in kind of taking on the, the cold exposure whilst exercising. And that seems to be a really potent combination. Yeah. Um, is that something that you'd kind of recommend for folks looking to really try to, you know, amplify the effect of kind of this this brown fat activation? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm not really uh, for any specific type of cold. I just think that if people can increase their health um, in a way with the, with the activating your metabolism, then I really think that you should think about cold exposure in a more broad sense than just going into an ice bath. So if people can go mm. more outside in a t-shirt, I know it's going to, it could also look a little weird. So it's, I <laughs> find a place where you would think it's, it's, it's reasonable. I'm in a t-shirt where it's snowy or something, yeah. but I mean, in your own garden yeah. or something, then it could be fine. You could also yeah. go out with bare feet. Actually, I just did that. And then my, in my own know. garden, did I really? took a run in, <laughs> in the garden with my kids around in bare feet and snow. <laughs> And that's, I, I really I mean this, this was morning and it has snowed and then we, we don't have a lot of snow here. So it's cold, but we don't even have 10 days of snowing just in, in average in Denmark. So we were happy. We were just running around and this gave us such an energy boost because it activates your sympathetic nervous system um, and also an increase in norepinephrine. We got this yeah. warm feeling inside afterwards. So the, the feet were only cold yeah. for us, very short. A brief amount of time right so i find right very you can say healthy for you if you can go out in yeah. a t-shirt exercise in t-shirt even though it's a little bit cold just move a little bit more then mm. you will be fine <laughs> yeah yeah i love it so susanna let's talk a little bit about insulin and you know in in your book you you do talk a lot about the role you know of just just how cold exposure impacts our metabolic health um if you can just kind of dig into to that for a second and um, just again, hopefully as another reason why people should take on this behavior of cold exposure, just because it's, it's impact on, um, on our, on our blood glucose levels. Yeah. So the brown fat is kind of like this very mystical uh, tissue that we have in our body. And, uh, I would just want to go back a little bit if it's okay, uh, because I think it's, it has a really, really fun story and, uh, no, I don't think that many people know the story of, of brown fat, but it was this kind of mystery a tissue that was discovered in 1551 by a natural uh, scientist uh, called, his name was uh, Conrad Gessner, and uh, he discovered this in a hibernating animal. And what he also discovered was that this tissue was uh, very different from other tissues in the body. It wasn't like the fat, the white fat, and it wasn't like the muscle, but it had mitochondria in the cells. So it was kind of like brownish. It was a brown color but not like the fat and it was not uh, like a muscle tissue. So it was kind of like very different from everything else in the body. Um, and it was only activated with cold, he found out, and in hibernating animals. The researchers then started looking into this and they found that it was regulating our temperature. And that is very cool to discover. And they dig even more into that and found out that it was not only a it was not only there in hibernating animals, but also in, in mammals. So they kind of like lost a bit of the hypothesis around this, that it was only in, in, in hibernating animals. So it was kind of laid on, on the shelf for a bit, the science. But in, if we just fast forward to 1966, where a researcher discovered actually um, the brown fat in humans, in infants, they saw in autopsies that they had this very large uh, piece of brown fat 
uh, on the back. And they figured, wow, this is very amazing. It's because the, the, the infants, the babies can't shiver in the muscles. So it makes sense that they have this kind of tissue with a lot of mitochondria inside. It's not like the muscles. It can be activated with just a little bit cold on the skin. And then it will heat up the baby so it doesn't freeze to death because it's so small in its mass, but it has a very large surface, right? So it's, it's very exposed, you can say. But it was not only uh, until, it was only until the, the millennium that people, um, that researchers got really interested in the brown fat. So it's a very new kind of science, you can say, because we didn't know why we had this. And we like thought, well, if infants have this, but adults have lost it. So we kind of decrease the amount of brown fat as we grow up. But in around a millennium, they found that uh, adults also have this. And they saw that if it's activated, that it uses fat and sugar from the bloodstream to keep it activated. And that increases your metabolism. And that was kind of a big, wow. a major breakthrough because they also saw that in, that in obese subjects who were exposed to cold, that they can also increase their insulin sensitivity. And also in humans who are not just healthy, uh, that if they were exposed to longer times of cold, they can increase their metabolism and insulin sensitivity which is kind of like a measure of how good your metabolism is and how healthy you are. So if you can increase your metabolism just by being cold and you can make your brown fat eat your calories in that way, that is why it's really right. healthy in a good way um, without even taking any pills. It's just supernatural way of increasing your, your health. Wow. I love it. That's a, that's a, a great ex explanation. And I think just for folks listening, again, you know, insulin sensitivity is good. We want to be sensitive and insulin resistance is is bad, just so yeah, <laughs> yes. people know um, yeah. the difference. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, that That's amazing. What would you say when we think about cold therapy, you know, I just, when you were kind of talking about um, obesity um, and uh, it, it made me think about, you know, the timing of, of eating um, and, you know, and how that kind of impacts, you know, when folks, uh, when we look at kind of obese populations, folks that don't eat breakfast tend to eat a lot more in the evening when they're during their inactive phase of their circadian rhythm. I'm wondering if, you know, cold therapy kind of has a similar play in that, you know, is it better to do earlier in the day or in the evening? You know, how would you, what would you recommend in terms of timing of cold exposure? I don't think that we have enough research on how exactly the cold exposure, the, this kind of cold shock and acute stress to the body affects our, um, our rhythm of the day, so our circadian rhythm. I think that we need right. a little bit more research on that to say exactly when and what time of the day would be optimal. But if we just look into what does the cold do in our body, we can maybe do some assumptions on uh, when could it be good for some people to do it in the morning? If, for example, this is also why it's so different. And I think different protocols could apply to different people. So if you are a person who maybe find it very hard to get up in the morning because you probably don't have as high a spike of cortisol in the morning where we actually see that very right. natural to, to wake up, you could take a cold shower. Cold shower will wake you up and that's going to keep you fresh for many hours. And then you are already up and running, you can say, in your system. And you have a natural boost of that. If you are a person who maybe 
doesn't find it that easy to uh, to sleep. Um, it could be very good maybe in the afternoon because then you then you have some hours to you can say get your your adrenaline levels down again. But at the same time, you have just given your metabolism a boost, and then also your muscles, and then you get a little bit tired some hours later. It's at least very right. natural to do that. But I've heard people say also they do it before they go to bed, and that makes them sleep very well. So I would say we could definitely need some more research on that. Okay, yeah, I, you know, I, I think just you know considering just the the whoop data that we have, um, you know, where there's thousands of people kind of logging this behavior would be interesting to see the timing of when they logged it, you know, and just to see if there is any, you know, kind of impact on, on how that might impact some other behaviors. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot to, to dig in there. Again, I, I think you make an important point that it is so, there's a lot of individual variation, right? And, but I know, you know, for me personally, like I would, I'd never do an ice bath during the kind of, I would do an ice bath during the active phase of my circadian rhythm. So when the sun is up generally is, is when I would engage in an ice bath just because of the, you know, all the, the kind of hormones that it activates and, oh, you yeah, know, just these, yeah. it's, it makes me feel very alert. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it was interesting looking at the ice bath data. Um, and we also looked at it in relationship to our, to sleep. So the individuals who log these ice baths, you know, what, on those days, what actually happened to their sleep? So we looked at sleep efficiency. We looked at sleep architecture, their kind of overall performance, you know, which is basically how much sleep they got compared to how much sleep they needed. And then we also looked at sleep consistency. Okay. And the only thing that cold moved around, and again, we don't know that we didn't examine the timing of the cold, which I think I'm going to go back in and look at. Um, we didn't look at the timing of the cold because I think there is probably some sort of circadian component there that would be interesting. But but we saw that the individuals with the largest change that we saw was in sleep consistency, which of course is a behavior of when we go to bed um, and and kind of when we wake up. And we saw that, um, that consistency, average sleep consistency increased 2.6%. When members recorded taking an ice bath that day so i think it you know you mentioned when you go into the ice into the you know a, a cold um you go to cold exposure you get the spike in cortisol so i'm wondering kind of the relationship between kind of cortisol and melatonin if in fact you know this kind of extra spike in cortisol is in some in some way affecting melatonin production at night in that you know it's kind of more amplified so that the signaling that happens when, you know, it's almost like uh, amplifying the the signal, I guess, the, the the pathways, right? When we're getting exposed to this, you know, cold exposure in the same way, potentially that exercise kind of helps us maybe fall asleep or, or feel sleepy kind of more naturally. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I'm curious of just this relationship, if there's anything there. Um, yeah. So I think, I still think that we need more research on that in, mm. in order to maybe say so much more about that i think that it's really really yeah. interesting data and uh, i think it could yeah. be really uh, interesting also to do a, a study on that so that we can look at uh, the correlation also and see because in my study we did see that the winter swimmers who were they were adapted winter swimmers they've had been swimming for two seasons and the control group were matched on age and due to max so fitness level and also they were pretty good match these two groups, but the winter swimming group adapted to cold water 
they had this spike of cortisol in the morning, which was higher than the control group, which could indicate that they have a better metabolism, they have a better circadian rhythm, uh, they have a better waking up, uh, you can say clock in the in the body to get up and get That's started right. with the day. Um, so it definitely has some kind of relation there, but we need to know more. But I think melatonin is a really good um, one to look into because it also increases in the cold. So it would be interesting to see what's the relationship there. A yeah. lot of hypothesis yeah. here. Mel- <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. I mean, I think it's interesting. I, you know, it, yeah, because the melatonin basically promotes the recruitment of brown fat exactly. yeah. tissue, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, which obviously increases thermogenesis and yeah, it, and that has a circadian component. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like this is really interesting. It is really and interesting. We need to... The brown fat has, mm. has a circadian rhythm, which we didn't really know, but we, we found that in right. my study in humans. We did see it in my studies. Um, there was at least one study published at that time showing that there was a circadian rhythm and also that this circadian rhythm could be, you can say, um, amplified with a cold exposure, so it was uh, the mice were exposed to cold, and uh, they had a circadian rhythm, which we didn't know at that time. But we did see in my study that uh, the circadian rhythm of the brown fat was actually not following the core temperature, which were, was a bit mm-hmm. surprising because usually the core yeah. temperature is what uh, is setting. You can say the temperature in the body really tells us. Uh, right. whether your metabolism is up and whether it's down, are you sleeping or not? So that's your mm-hmm. rhythm. But the brown fat was not, um, didn't decrease, uh, you can say, in the same rhythm as uh, as as the core temperature before night. And it increased actually before the brown fat activation increased. So the temperature of the brown fat increased before the core temperature. So the brown fat temperature was not controlled by the core temperature. Apparently, it was maybe the other way around. But again, mm-hmm. we need more yeah. research on this. <laughs> yeah, more research. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> this, this is just we need two to fund researchers your... <laughs> just exploring what can we do. And this is so much fun. I know. I know. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it's kind of always getting to that next layer, you know, yeah. of, of really trying yeah. to understand what actually is happening. And I think to your point, like, you know, this is all like very novel research, you know, like there just isn't a lot. Of research, you know, in this area of kind of cold and what's actually happening mechanistically. And I mean, you've uncovered so much, you know, but I, th- I think what's interesting is that there's, you know, these, it ends up impacting potentially other behaviors that are also health promoting, you know, sleep consistency, we know is one of the most important behaviors that we can take on in terms of, and, and because of its relationship or kind of correlation to kind of mental and physical health resilience. And I see this a lot in the research that um, we're doing here at WHOOP on my team is doing. Um, so it's, you know, I'm kind of always interested in, you know, how do these uh, behavior like cold exposure, how does that impact other systems in our body that actually in, you know, potentially subconsciously is kind of pushing us towards the other other behaviors that are really health promoting. Um, for example, you know, because we've got this amplification of cortisol, you know, release, you know, that somehow impacts our melatonin, which makes us feel sleepy and, and allows us to kind of go to bed at a, a stable time, you know, each day. So I, I'm interested in kind of these relationships and I, and I think that there's, yeah, there's a lot of really exciting things to explore there. Um, it's so interesting. Yeah. So exciting. Um, one of the, you know, we, we've, so we've talked a lot of, you know, just about just winter swimming. Um, it, it may be before I want to talk about cold showers um, and just the difference between, you know, kind of winter swimming where 
you're getting you you're submerging you know neck down basically in the cold and and you you mentioned that it's it's different for everyone but how long on average should people be spending in the water to kind of get all these benefits if they're doing winter swimming and then um we'd love to talk about the Amsterdam study and and kind of go into um kind of cold showers and the benefits there and the differences yeah so uh, so cold immersion is definitely affecting your body body in a totally no, different way from going into a cold shower. So when you do cold immersion, cold water immersion, you will activate your sympathetic nervous system and also the parasympathetic nervous system and your vagus nerve. So right. you will get the, the activation of the, the energy and you will also get the, the more calm and resting uh, uh, mental balance afterwards because you have activated your serotonin and you have that release in the brain as well. So you will get this calm and nice and resting feeling afterwards where you just feel very good and you feel very happy because of all these happiness hormones also being activated. Right. For example, dopamine going up uh, by 2.5x and, wow. and the norepinephrine going up also 2.5x and up to 500 uh, or five times uh, above baseline. So, and this is within minutes just by subverting yourself into cold water. So, Going into an ice bath or winter swimming is definitely going to impact your whole autonomic nervous system. And uh, you will get the benefits of all of that. But when you go into a cold shower, you will activate the sympathetic nervous system because you won't get that submersion into a cold water, which will activate your diving response. So you will get some other benefits from going into a cold shower. And the study from Amsterdam, which you just mentioned, but the study from Amsterdam is the only cold shower study that we really have. It's a randomized controlled trial where they have looked into different groups where they put people into cold showers for 30 days and saw um, warm showers only group and a group who did warm showers and then turned the, 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 the handle over to a cold shower for 30 seconds and then 60 seconds and also 80, 90 seconds. And they did see that the group who did the cold showers at the end had fewer sick days from work. So this could indicate that they had um, an increase in their um, immune uh, defense or immune system. Wow. So they had this better um, uh, immune uh, defense in the body going. And, but in the, in the control group, they didn't have that. So they were still going with the same rate as, uh, as they usually do with the sick rate. But, but the sick leave in... Uh, the other group was actually lower. But this could also be not only because of the uh, immune system being uh, boosted, it could also be because they just got happier and it could be because they got a better feeling about themselves. So being maybe a little bit sick, but being happy at least, and being more positive-minded around just the world and yourselves will make you get up in the morning and go to work. So it could also be an impact on all of these things. And I actually don't think it's that important, whether it's only one thing or another. I just think it's the behavior of this, I think, is amazing. Because you got up, you get, you did go to work. It could be a combination of the good hormones, the happiness hormones going in your, in your brain. Uh, but it could also be the activation of your immune system. So the activation of the immune system happens because when you go into the cold water, you will have a boost of uh, leukocytes and monocytes in the body, which will then also clean up some of the, you can say, the inflammation in the body. And that is kind of like the main thing for our lifestyle diseases. These days in our modern world, we have uh, one like root cause for all this that is 
inflammation. So if we can get rid of some of the inflammation by boosting our immune system, that is also one reason why you should definitely start. So you will have, you will have immediately, you will have um, benefits from going into the cold shower and going into a cold uh, top or going the winter swimming. You will have immediately health benefits from first time you go. But if you continue, then you will have the long-term benefits. And that's what I really think is very interesting. And that's what I've studied in my in my research. I love it. Well, I want to talk more about inflammation in a second, but if you would, so if you'd say, if we're doing a cold shower, for example, you know, versus winter swimming, like what would be the, you know, if we, we look at total minutes across the week for maximum benefit, you know, what would be, you know, kind of that, that threshold um, of just how much time do we have to spend? You know, how many days do we have to do it? Um, is there kind of a sweet spot that you found in, in your research? Yeah. So, uh, and this was kind of like not what I actually we were looking for, but I wanted <laughs> to happy figure finding. out when I did. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was like I, I did want to find some kind of like a method or something because I was not a winter swimmer when I started. So I wanted to do a study. <laughs> I wanted to do a study where I kind of like looked at the lowest threshold, but finding the good benefits. Amazing. <laughs> so, and <laughs> so no one else had done a study where they have looked at activation of the brown fat with cold water. They have looked at cold air. They have looked at how the effect is with wearing a cooling vest or um, sleeping in a cold room and stuff like that. But never had there been any studies with the cold water, which is a very much more potent activator of our, um, of our immune system and of our metabolism and everything. So it was kind of like a, a new thing going into to, uh, to that research. So what I wanted to do was to look, um, comparing two groups, one that is already act, um, adapted to cold and the other one who has never t taken an ice bath or winter swimming at all. Uh, but the groups, on the other hand, just were very uh, like equal or very matched on in age and gender and, and also on fitness level. And they were. So... What we found in the study was actually that uh, because I, I monitored how much they went into swimming and how much they actually also went into the sauna because I wanted them to do the Nordic way of doing this cold exposure, which was also with the heat. And I had this kind of feeling that the brown fat is not only an um, activator of the cold, it is a temperature um, levelator in our body. So the heat might as well be activating our metabolism. So I didn't want to rule that out. So they did both. And uh, we saw that 11 minutes uh, of cold exposure, uh, we saw that 11 minutes of cold water immersion per week, not in one time, but divided on two to three days, actually activated our brown fat um, and also increased our insulin sensitivity in these uh, healthy subjects that we uh, looked into. We also saw that they had a faster glucose uh, metabolism when we gave them a sugar drink. We saw that they faster got rid of the sugar in the bloodstream. They also were just warmer. We saw that the brown fat activation was increased, but also they were just warmer in general. And not only when they went into the cold or after, but just in general, because we measured that uh, over a, a couple of days actually in the lab. So we saw that people who were men and very equal these two groups were just a warmer group and a not so warm group and the winter swimmers it 
a bit counterintuitively, but they were actually warmer than those who didn't want to seek the cold. So the message here is definitely, so if you are a cold sissy or you are a very like frightened of the cold, you should definitely go to the cold because that's going to make you warm. It will activate your brown fat and your metabolism and it will make you healthier because it decreases your inflammation in the body, which is the root cause of many diseases today. So you can call the cold, uh, <laughs> the cold water immersion is kind of like, um, I see it as a, I see it as a way of a preventing multiple diseases that we have found today is the root cause of disease. Lifetime lifestyle uh, diseases today is depression. It's type two diabetes. It's high blood pressure. All these uh, diseases are um, because of, uh, or partly because of inflammation, but inflammation is definitely a root cause of many of those diseases. So if we can get rid of the inflammation, you have kind of like touched upon your prevention for multiple diseases, but also you have boosted your, uh, your brain in a way to uh, be more fresh and uh, more um, better at, at remembering. And that is also because of the neurotransmitters. So it affects the whole body. Not only the metabolism, but it's like a, a connection between the brain and the meta metabolism. Uh, hopefully, we so, can get to a point where doctors are actually prescribing cold water therapy to their yes. patients. You know, I mean, I think about it. You know, in terms of treating addiction and that you know, depression, and you know, it just seems just because of its impact on our nervous system and its its ability to kind of regulate our nervous system. It just seems like such a you know, kind of a no-brainer in terms of modality that we yeah. want to try to incorporate into our lives. And I think it's wonderful to hear that, you know, getting outside and the cold weather and exposing your skin along with cold showers, you know, are also, because that's, you know, pretty much everyone can do that, you know, so not everyone maybe is going to be able to get into a cold or a cold bath even, you know, just turning the cold. I mean, it's it's pretty much everyone has it, you know, has the ability to do those things, you know, so we can impact our health in a really powerful way you know, just by engaging in, in this behavior. So it's truly encouraging. So 11 minutes of cold water per week, um, broken up into kind of three to four sessions. Would you say, you know, what, I know we've got the sober principle, which was coined by Dr. Andrew Huberman. Um, he's actually a science advisor to Whoop, so we get to interact with him a fair amount. And um, yeah, so he's he's so wonderful. But I love that he coined this, this, uh, this phrase. So what exactly is the sober principle? I love that too. He's, so, great. so he's great. So I mean, th this was the biggest surprise ever. I mean, I was just interviewed <laughs> and the first like international interview I ever did. It's yeah, <laughs> a great place it to start. Kinda, Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised. I was like, can I get a principal? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But I kind of like just always had this idea about the brown fat, the metabolism that if you end on the cold, because I really needed to figure this out during my research and figure out do I ask my participants to do a, a plunge or do they end in the sauna? And then I was thinking about what does the body actually do in the heat and what does it do in the cold? That's why I've read all the literature and my supervisor asked me to read, to, to make the book that you have been reading <laughs> because I was told to do that in the beginning. And, and uh, I was like, well, I don't think I can, but I had read all the literature and found out that or figure it out in a way that if it's increased by cold, by activating the brown fat, then, and my hypothesis really is uh, real, then 
you must end on the code to force your body to heat up naturally. Because if you do that, then you force your body to spend more energy and you will burn more calories, glucose and fat from your bloodstream. So it's kind of like a long <laughs> weight loss that you do after your cold exposure. So you don't have to think about your cold exposure as just happening when you are out there outside. If you end on cold, on the subject principle, apparently, so uh, then you will you will keep this activation going in the body uh, also, also when you get inside. The one thing that I want to also touch upon is just if, if you end uh, on the cold and you go home, then I'll ask you to keep moving because it's also one thing that's going to help you increase your... Uh, your uh, heat again in the body because the muscle will help you a bit uh, because it's really it's really not something that is that easy at the beginning so you have to adapt to this and you will have muscle shivering for a couple of hours after that will happen and it's completely natural and it's not dangerous as long as you don't stay too long in the water so your after drop won't, won't be uh, too high and the after drop is when your core temperature decreases too much um, and you will have a visual shivering at home, but just keep moving and then you will be fine and you will have a high increase in your metabolism. So end on cold to, uh, to have uh, more activation in your metabolism. Amazing. How cold does it need to be? What, what would be, you know, and again, it probably matters based on how adapted an individual is, I, I would think, but what is the temperature at which we can get, uh, realize these benefits that you're talking about? Yeah, so cold water is, cold water, you can define cold water at 15 degrees Celsius um, and below, I would say. Um, and that is based on the studies that I have read where you see that people have um, drowned, um, mm -hmm. meaning that they became hypothermic. Um, so these are based on statistics of, of uh, hypothermia mm -hmm. and also drowning accidents. So if we have this statistics and saying that from 15 degrees uh, water and below, we can have accidents, then I would say that cold and activating your cold shock must be from 15 degrees and below. Okay. So That's 59 actually, it's, degrees it's, of Fahrenheit, just for folks for the conversion, because we get a lot of US folks. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Actually, it doesn't have to be that cold to activate your, 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 yeah. your cold shock. Um, but just to keep your brown fat activated, you don't have to do that code actually. So um, going into uh, going outside at 19 degrees in a t-shirt will activate your brown fat as well. So you can kind of like play around with these temperatures. And that is kind of like one of my principles um, as well is to not get too stuck on, on the temperatures, just vary them because the variation is gonna uh, make uh, your uh, metabolism uh, increase and then you change the hormesis in the cells because then you maybe had uh, a cold top or a cold plunge for um, at 10 degrees and then you uh, Celsius uh, <laughs> and then you have it at two degrees Celsius and you will have to help me convert this a bit <laughs> but uh, but but just vary the temperatures uh, down to maybe the freezing point and then go up again a bit because that's going to increase your metabolism. It's not, then you won't get adapted to just one temperature. Why I say that is because there are studies showing that if you get adapted to cold showers at a certain um, temperature, 15 degrees, then if you go and take a cold plunge at 10 degrees Celsius, then you will still uh, have a cold shock. 
But if you go into 15 degrees, which was the same as the, co the cold showers, then you won't have as much of an, a cold shock uh, as if you vary the temperature. So the variation is going to be your training gear for your cells to create the homesis in the cells. And homesis means, for those who, uh, uh, the homesis is actually what is happening in the cells. So the cold shock is a bit toxic. <laughs> it's a little bit of toxicity in your body, actually, also the heat. It's actually toxic for us. And what happens is that uh, the hormetic stress, which it is, will increase um, heat shock proteins uh, in the cells, and that will make your cells stronger. So this is based on uh, science from um, from Hans Seely, who actually discovered the, the sympathetic uh, nervous system, the the shock. Uh, so you can you can say that if you have the stress syndrome um, activated, then you only need a little bit because if you overdo it, you will exhaust the cells, and that is his research showing that. If you exhaust the cells, then they will age too fast. Right. And that is not in the cells only. That is also in your system. Meaning that if you stay too long in a very cold uh, top, then you will actually um, also maybe put too much stressure uh, on the heart and on your cardiovascular system. That is why I am trying to promote this micro-stressing, yeah. which my research is also about. So micro-stressing at different temperatures, just vary them that would definitely keep your metabolism going in a healthy way. I love it. You know, as, as you're kind of talking through this, like so many of the mechanisms and, you know, the principles I think are, are similar to exercise, you know, in that we want to modulate our volume and intensity and frequency, um, you know, of exercise and, and cold, is, it feels very similar to me, you know, in terms of, you know, just what it you is, outlined, yeah. you know, and, and I think, you know, all these yeah. kind of hormetic kind of um, effects, I think, you know, that are you know, present with, with cold, I think, you know, are obviously present with exercise and it's, it's no surprise that they impact brown fat kind of similarly, you know, in our metabolism in a similar way. Um, yeah, it, it, I find that really interesting. Uh, one note just on inflammation, I just wanted to go back to this um, because I think, you know, I've experimented a, lo a lot with this in terms of just, you know, doing do cold before, you know, I was a coach for many, many years, um, a division one uh, field hockey coach, and we would do ice plunges during our preseason, after um, after after the the practice, to try to accelerate recovery next day. Now, um, we found that really beneficial, of course. But when you're trying to actually make fitness gains, that inflammation, of course, from the exercise is really important. And we don't necessarily want to blunt that inflammation with cold. We want to allow that to exist in our body. So we, you know, cut all the processes that we would activate to you know, get stronger, you know, kind of get strength and, yeah. and hypertrophy, you know, happen because of that inflammation to yeah. a degree. So what would be your your kind of take on, you know, do we, you know, so, so for me, like I do cold before I exercise and I get, you know, all the things that you described, you know, this burst of cortisol and adrenaline and epinephrine and, and I think just pulling yeah. my muscles as well. Like I feel like almost superhuman during my workout. Like I feel really good. And some of that could be placebo. I'm just going to roll with it. But, um, but I'd love to hear just your thoughts on, you know, where do we actually sequence the cold if, in fact, we're interested in, you know, in recovery and if, in fact, we're interested in um, in, in getting, you know, kind of stronger and faster and, you know, fitter, you know, does it matter before or after the workout? Yes, there is really good questions there, Christy. I think that going to the question about hypertrophy, I think that 
it is really, really good thing um, that you do your cold exposure before you actually do the workout. And this has two reasons. So the one reason being that it is this, it is actually an energy boost that is much greater than than drinking coffee or energy totally. drinks or whatever before you go to your workout. Exercise I capacity never through do. the roof. It's insane. Yes, exactly. I, truly. It's, I, I, I was, yeah, it's incredible. It is the energy boost that you actually need because in the in the training center or when you go for a run or what you do for your exercise, doing a cold shower or just doing a quick cold dip is going to put your energy through mm-hmm. the roof, and you will you won't you'll be unstoppable. Yeah, totally. So I think that <laughs> I think it's a really good order to do it in, um, and also for the second reason being that um, if you take a cold uh, shower uh, or mostly if you do a cold plunge after your workout, you will kind of stop this inflammation in the muscles, which is exactly what you want to have if you are building muscles. Um, But it will then recover your muscles better, which means that you will have less pain in the muscles after your workout. So I would say it depends again who you are. If you are not looking for growing your muscles um, and I don't say that it's a lot impact that it has but if you're looking if you are competitive or competing and doing a lot of sport maybe every day uh, then it could be a good thing to to go to a cold right. plunge after your workout you're trying to prioritize just to recovery yeah yeah yep. yeah because you, you you need to compete the next day mm-hmm. or something like that but if you just want to grow your muscles and you want to get fitter or then it's it's a really good idea to put your cold plunge on the other side of <laughs> of your workout, so in the beginning or before, uh, actually, or just push it a few days after. I mean, you could divide your weekdays up into what days do you go to uh, to work out and what days do you go and take your cold, cold plunges. So, but you can put heat in. That would be a really good day. thing to do right after your workout. Right. That's another thing. But the cold, I would divide it if I'm building muscles, but for people not doing that or not competing, I think it's a good thing. Just take a plunge after. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely, you know, I, I work with a lot of professional athletes and kind of in that space a fair amount. And I don't really hear of anyone leveraging cold as just a performance enhancer. Um, so I feel like this, I'm hoping, you know, with this podcast, we can kind of, you know, get get the word out that indeed, <laughs> you know, there's huge benefits yeah. to incorporating, you know, building this into your routine, you know, before a, a match or a game or, um, you know, a, a workout where you really want to try to, you know, maximize your output. Um, yeah, I just feel like it's it's totally under leveraged on books. Probably, you know, we hear a lot about using cold plunge as a way to, you know, improve recovery. But I think it does have these potential downside effects, you know, if we're looking to really improve our fitness levels and, and build muscle. Um, it's, you know, the sequencing really does matter. Um, so I think that that's, that's important, I think, for folks to, to understand who are calibrating their lives around a lot of these modalities. There's, there is a lot. I mean, there's, there is so much to explore here and so much to say. And I mean, when, you, when I go on these podcasts, I often end up thinking afterwards, I didn't say all this. I know. I mean, I, feel, I said a fraction, but it's like, what about all this? Yeah. That's, that's actually one of the reasons why I have. Um, why I have made the, this the Super Institute because I want to teach people some of all these things of why they should do the cold, why should they do the heat, so they know exactly why to do it. Because people would do it for different reasons, but they should also know how to do it, why to do it, and what does it affect. 
And if people don't know, I mean, then they won't do it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just trying to spread some some knowledge there. So that's why I've made a a, a course about that's called the the thermalist cure, oh, uh, where you would, yeah. <laughs> um, and I really didn't think that I would I was going to do that because um, because I do talk a lot when I'm on the podcast and and so forth. But people keep writing me, can you tell me? Can you show me? Can you? And then eventually I was like, well, maybe I should just do a course and just show people and and go more into depth with the reasons why and and why is this healthy if you are looking for a, a painkiller, if you're looking for a way to increase your your training in, if you're in, increasing your mood or it it's definitely different from people to people. So the course is also about finding your why in this. Oh, I love that. That's so great. I you know, and maybe that's a great place to you know, to end, you know, how do, you know, people can listen to this podcast and they can hear about all the benefits and, you know, but cold water is painful, you know, and yeah. how do we, you know, what would be your recommendations on just overcoming the panic, you know, of feeling that excruciating cold on our skin and, you know, how do we, how does one breathe through that? You know, like what, what, what would you, how would you guide a person who is, you know, okay, this is going to be good for me, but it's so painful. Like how, how do we get over that mental barrier? Yeah, that is a really good question. And I, I think that you just said, right, it's actually very toxic for the body going into right. cold. So it's not going to be your friend, but it's <laughs> going to be, it's not going to be your friend in that way, but it's going to be like a, a toxic friend, you can say, which Love you want to visit sometimes, but not stay there for that long because then it gets dangerous. You just run off again. Just say a quick hi and then run off again. So it's it's kind of like the code is super good for us in a short amount of time. So one of the things that we need to do or need to think about is just you only need to do it for a short amount of time. So going into the water and get a hold of your nervous system by doing breath work. So with your breathing, you can lower your nervous system. And when you can do that, you'd get over your cold shock and then you can stay there maybe for a little bit of time. Two minutes is enough actually. And then you can go up. As soon as you get over the cold shock and you get into this more calm and activation of the parasympathetic nervous system, then you have already, uh, you can say, get you already get the benefits from all the neurotransmitters and also activation of the brown fat, which we just talked about. So you don't have to stay longer than that. But what you do is actually that you lower your nervous system by controlling your breath. So deep, low and slow, uh, I always say. Um, and it's a thing that you can use in your everyday life. So this is also one of the things that I teach in my school. That's how to lower your nervous system, how to get into the cold water and also how to breathe because the breathing is the key to lower a racing mind and a racing heart. Right, right. In this modern modern world, we really need yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So a good rule of thumb, like you get into the cold water and basically once you, you're going to be, you know, breathing, you know, kind of. Yeah, you, hyperventilating. Yeah, you're going to be hyperventilating. But once you get your breath under control, that is a signal that you've, you're decreasing your heart rate, you're activating the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. So you've gone from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic, which you've outlined is that's kind of the kind of holy grail. That's what we're really after. We want to try to get both this activation and deactivation happening um, within the session, right? And yeah. um, and that's kind of the, the goal. So I think that's a good, but, you know, that's a good framework, I suppose, for folks who are trying to think, okay, like if they're in the shower, they don't have a timer, you know, but 
but just, all right, once I get my breath down and my heart rate, you know, decreases, that means that I'm activating the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system and I'm getting the yeah. benefits. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's amazing. And people don't don't have to do this in their first plunge and in their first cold right. shower. It might they be just 10 seconds. Very slow. 15 seconds. You yes, know, exactly. Yeah. But you can but you can see it as a goal and and building up to these few minutes where you can get over the cold shock and use your breath to lower your nervous system. Yep. But it's definitely not something you have to do in the first try. Nobody does that. Yeah. And even though even people who are adapted to the cold, they don't like the cold. Right. Nobody likes the cold. <laughs> if they do, then I'm a little bit afraid. Of <laughs> I know, totally. It's a, yeah, a psychopath. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So just, I think people who are starting out, like they can even just submerge their hands in really cold water and or their face, you know, just in the sink, like just starting to kind of test it. And then, you know, in the shower going from, you know, warm to cold and just seeing how far they can go. And, um, yeah. you yeah. know, and I think... I think to your point, like just even smaller bouts, you know, are, are really cause for wins and, you know, just trying to increase it over time, you know, to, to get to that point where they can really, you know, work through that hyperventilation and get to a point where they have controlled breath, you know, is I guess the the goal. And and I think I think the other point that I just want to emphasize that I think is really important that I, I haven't heard you talk a ton about in other forums is just the variety, you know, and I think what's beautiful about swimming um, is that the season kind of takes care of that variation. You know, I know when I go into yeah, the lake exactly. and it's, you know, zero degrees, 32 degrees Fahrenheit, it's cold, but I've got the wind temperature, you know, the wind and the air temperature, right? When the air temperature is warmer than the water, that is brutal <laughs> for me. Yes. I, I yes. prefer to have the air temperature kind of colder than the water. Um, it just seems less painful. Yeah. And I don't know if there's anything and real to is. that. Is that okay? Yeah. 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 Actually, the, the, the summer can be brutal for some people because you get so hot on your skin. Right. And then you go into the water and you get even more surprised because you were not prepared. Uh, totally. Not prepared. Uh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that the, the, the difference was that big. I know, my friend and I were, we were in Boston and, and it was May. And of course, in the Northeast, it's, it's pretty darn cold. The water was, I think, definitely below below um, 50 degrees Celsius, you know, so probably in the 50, you know, low 50s Fahrenheit. And but it was a warm day. I mean, it was like 80 degrees. And we did a workout on the beach and then we went to the ocean and it was like, I mean, it felt like it might as well have been, you know, zero degrees or 32 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. It felt freezing. Um, but I think that that's that's like what's so exciting about winter swimming is that it's going to be different every time you explore it. It every will be time. completely different. And I think to me, that's what like gets me so excited about about just winter swimming is just, you know, being out in the nature and sometimes you know, the rocks have ice on them. Sometimes they have snow on them. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to cut through the icy a hole, water, a yeah. hole, you know. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I think all of that, you know, gets you out in nature, you know, gets you out, out of your comfort zone. Um, and I think I would love to just end on, you know, and you've kind of throughout, I've talked a little bit about the mental benefits, but, you know, just this idea of mental resilience. You know, I think for a lot of people, this is a hard thing, you know, and I think as a society, we're kind of inoculated I think to a degree from environmental stressors, right? Because we're in homes that are perfectly yeah. you know, lit and they're perfectly, you know, temperature controlled, you know, and there's just this incredible opportunity to to invite this um, beautiful stress into, into our system. So maybe just talk a little bit about just the mental health resilience aspect of this. 
Yeah. So I really think that you can get these health benefits and the mental benefits from going just into the cold, but adding the nature component to this is definitely going to help yeah. because the nature component, I also write about this in, in my book, yes. Winter Swimming, because in Denmark, that is what we have in the north. We we have open sea and we have so much water in Denmark. So everyone in Denmark can drive to the sea and we only have 50 kilometers just in, in average to some water. Wow. So it's really easy for us to, to get into just open water. When you are in nature, you actually decrease your stress level by just taking a walk for 20 minutes. And this is shown by science that 20 minutes walk it's called forest bathing, actually. So you go into the into the forest and you go for a walk for 20 minutes and then you decrease your norepinephrine levels by 20%. And you will also decrease your cortisol levels on, on you can say, a daily uh, decrease on, I think it's 17%. So you would definitely have your stress level down just by going out in nature. It's as if nature is rewarding us from coming back home in a way. And I think that's very, very beautiful. So when you go out and take a winter swim in the ocean or in the lake, you have both. You go into nature, which is very relaxing for us, but you also have the looking at the horizon. So you look very far away. And for some reason, that is also something that is calming for our um, our our nervous system. And this is tested in, in studies where they have they had subjects looking at the pictures of just nature. And that actually did decrease uh, uh, the, the nervous system. So had lower stress hormones uh, in the bloodstream uh, and very quickly, actually. So if you are stressed, taking a walk in nature is going to help you. But combining that with a winter swim is definitely going to help you do that in a profound way. So you are stressing up when you go into the water, but that is to stress down. So keeping that resilience in the water is something that you need to build up, but the nature is going to help you out there. Definitely. Oh, I love it. Well, this has been a, such a fascinating conversation. I could talk to you for days. So hopefully we can talk again in the near future and just appreciate all your time today. And where and where are the, where's the best place for folks to find you? So they can find me on uh, Instagram, um, Susanna Soberg, um, and also on other social media. I'm all, also there, Facebook and uh, on TikTok. And yeah, and also on my webpage, it's called the SobergInstitute.com, where you can uh, see my courses and you can read about my background, my research, and also find my books. Love it. Um, yeah, so. Amazing. Well, thank you so much it. for the time <laughs> for today. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I, it has been a great conversation, I think. It was so nice to talk to you. Oh, I appreciate So that. much came up and so many good ideas. <laughs> good. <laughs> we could go on, I think. I know, I think so. <laughs> thank you to Dr. Susanna Soberg for joining the show and for sharing her insights on cold therapy. I seriously recommend you all try it. I've been really into the cold now for a number of years. I think it has huge benefits. And for me, at least mainly cognitively, the fact that I just feel so good and so happy after doing cold therapy. So highly recommend it. If you enjoyed the episode of the Whoop podcast, please leave a rating or review. You can check us out on social at Whoop, at Will Ahmed. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us podcast at whoop.com. Call us 508-443-4952. New members can use the code Will, W-I-L-L, and get a $60 credit on Whoop accessories. And that's a wrap, folks. We will see you next time on the Whoop Podcast. Stay healthy and stay in the green.